looking at these parables and how we participate with God in his work in the world and in the kingdom. And so, uh, as soon as I, we don't want to go through the Coffee and Christ notes. We better move on to these other ones here. And um, this morning I'm going to be talking about uh, the connection. I'm going to be talking about forgiveness, but I'm, that is such a multifaceted topic that it's hard to say enough about it. Um, and so what I am going to do is point out some, I'm going to point out some, uh, I've got to get these things in order or we'll really get lost. Uh, some connections between forgiveness and hospitality. And I'm kind of thought, you know, I've been thinking a lot about hospitality. You know, we tend to think of it as, you know, inviting somebody over to our house, maybe have some dinner with them or something, you know, and that, that's good. That's a good thing. But biblical hospitality goes so much deeper than that. And I'm going to want to, because Gary and Carolyn are here with us, uh, a lot of you don't know that I have a long-time connection with them. When my wife and I found the grace of Jesus, we were living in a little island called Huntley. And, and we're not sure what our neighbors thought of us. We were a little on the rough side. And I ran into Gary, and both of us worked construction. And he started talking about Jesus. He was pretty excited about Jesus. And so anyway, my wife gets a call from Carolyn a few days later inviting us over to dinner. My wife, I can say this because she's not here. My wife goes, what for? And they go, just to, just to hang out and be together. We didn't know what we were in for when we went out there. We'd, we'd never, we, I mean, the conversation between Darlene and I, like, this is uncomfortable. I mean, we'd never met with people where there wasn't booze involved and stuff, you know what I mean? It was, it was a real stretch for us. But anyway, Gary and Carolyn, they brought us into their home, but they took it a step further. They led us into, our, into their hearts, and they began to tell us about things that Jesus was doing in their life, and it revolutionized our life. And so... That to me, I just thought about, you know, that's a picture of hospitality that I want you to hold in your mind, that, that it runs a little deeper than just having someone for dinner, you know. It's actually inviting them into your life, which I think you'll see as we go. So, we've been working through uh, some of the parables of Jesus to investigate what it looks like to abide or remain in a close relationship with the Lord. You probably have picked up on that fact that the parables are more than are more about the character and the ways of God than they are about the nameless characters within the story. So today we'll follow the same path as we look at two parables that deal with forgiveness. The first one is found in Luke chapter 7, the second one is found in Matthew 18, and I'd like to read the two parables and then give a brief overview of their respective context in order to follow what I'm going to say. So the the bulk of our time will be in the Luke passages. Uh, where perhaps we can connect the role of forgiveness to hospitality and reconciliation. Reconciliation is very important. It's kind of a big word, but reconciliation is the purpose of the church. It's the purpose of Jesus coming, is to reconcile God and man. That's why Jesus came, suffered and died on the cross, secured forgiveness for us, and then released the Holy Spirit to bring the rest of the world to God. And through us. So the ministry of reconciliation, as we'll see, 
is, um, has been given to us. And uh, I'm going to read this scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19, and then we'll pray and get into the thing. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19, it says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we see him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation or a new person. The old life is gone. Before Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, your old life is gone, just like this song we sang. History. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Father, thank you for the power of your word. How amazing it is that you can direct that very word into our heart and call life out of us. Just as the scriptures have told from the very beginning that you called light out of darkness and we were formerly darkness, Lord, but you spoke to our hearts and you made us a new creation. And now we belong to one another and to the kingdom. And we pray, Father, that as we go down through these words that you will strengthen us by your grace, lead us into truth, that we can know you and know one another in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 7, 40 through 43 says this. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. We'll come back and read the whole context, but that's the parable that's in it. Matthew 18, 36 through 50 is a little longer. I'm not going to speak much about this, but I'm going to read it and let it lay in your mind. When Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought to in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave the debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor, his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, 
I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now that's a like an oh my <laughs> verse of scripture. Those are the ones we like to like, you know, if we could, you know, we just kind of peel that bottom of that page off and put that over somewhere else where we don't have to see it, you know, but it's there. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay, the first passages are said at a dinner party, and it involves elements of hospitality. Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and a woman makes a, a public display that provides an opportunity for a teaching. The second parable is directed at Peter in particular, perhaps maybe the other disciples too. We're not, we just aren't told. There is some uh, hyperbole, which is exaggeration to make a point in the amounts of money. And so, so there's this huge emphasis that's being brought in this parable. Uh, but I'm going to cut to the chase on this one. Forgiveness is not doled out. It is to be a continuous, fluid reality, a predisposition. This is impossible from a sin-damaged human viewpoint. And Peter is no doubt concerned at the words, as we should be. It is told as a parable to keep the meaning somewhat hidden until new creation comes. Now, what I mean by that is this is before Jesus' suffering on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the parables that are being spoken are somewhat hidden until the time of fullness comes and then understanding will come. The weight of what's in this verse that Peter is, is being, you know, Peter is really struggling with this, as you can imagine. You know, how many times do I need to forgive this guy? I mean, we all have jerks in our lives. And it's a, really a struggle to walk in forgiveness, in a state of forgiveness. In, in fact, it's virtually impossible because they keep offending. And so we keep wrangling our way through. <laughs> and what are we supposed to do? Just throw our hands up? Well, I'm afraid the parable calls us to a participation, and we can see how this, we can see how Jesus meets us in this so that we can actually gain some wisdom from this thing. So let's go back and do a slow walk through the, the, the Luke 7 passages. Um, and here is the context. I'm going to read this whole context now of this passage. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, he brought a she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. In other words, she's a prostitute. Jesus answered his thoughts. <laughs> this, goes to, this goes to the prophet part. Jesus answered his thoughts and said, Simon, 
<laughs> he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven a little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And the phrase go in peace, if you go back and study it, it has a, it has a tense to it. It's go into peace. He's like commanding her to move toward peace, okay? So we're at this dinner party. Uh, hospitality, the definition of hospitality is the quality of, kindness and the quality of kindness and generosity to others. If you go and do a Bible study, this, the depth of hospitality, God is hospitable to us. In other words, he shows us kindness and generosity. And so that's the, that's the call in, that godliness has upon us is that we are called to move into this place of hospitality where we show people kindness and generosity, sharing our lives with them. Uh, there are levels of hospitality displayed in these different characters here. The Pharisee, uh, let me, yeah, let me talk about the Pharisee and then I'll talk about the way the dinner party is. The Pharisee is, a Pharisee was, uh, it was a grassroots political movement, basically. One of the tenets or values that they had was if they could get all the people to do the law of God perfectly, it would force the hand of God, basically this was the way they viewed it, it would force the hand of God to move strongly on their behalf and drive out their enemies and raise Israel up to be uh, this ruling, conquering nation. This was the promises that they held. And they just, it sounds reasonable, right? Hey, if we just all get our ducks in a row and we all just kind of can, you know. But it's, have you found out that like being in church is a little like herding cats? It's kind of like, <laughs> and that's good, that's fine. So the Pharisee thing is when we try to exercise too much control, <laughs> that's what we get. And so we have this man who is esteemed in the community. He's a Pharisee. He's recognized in having authority. He's holding the dinner party in his house that, uh, and the nature of uh, those dinner parties at that time was there was a teacher that was being brought. Jesus had been going around preaching and I'm assuming, it doesn't say in the passage or in the context, that this woman has had some previous contact with Jesus. She's, he's been preaching and she's been listening. Something has gone on where something is happening in her heart and she is recognizing 
who Jesus is. And so this dinner party would be held and there would be a table and the guest of honor would be at the table, some of the favored, and it would all be postured and positioned to communicate who's important. That's the way it would be. And so other people could come and hear the guests speak and they would gather around in this kind of like maybe a kind of an open courtyard or something, you know what I mean? It would be, it would be kind of open. So Jesus is reclining at the table and Simon is firmly in charge of the whole thing. He's like a benevolent benefactor. He's like being kind to everybody, but in his motive, he's thinking about the payback on it. If I do this dinner and I associate with this rabbi, people that are finding favor with him, it'll eventually come back to me. You with me? And I think we can draw that from it. I don't want to belabor these points, but he has a level of wealth and influence to protect. His moral judgments cause him to keep a safe distance from perceived threats. If we look at everybody as a potential threat, we might need some work on the hospitality side of things and some grace, you know. But anyway, and, and, and believe you me, I've done this. I've been in business and stuff. And I've done this stuff, and maybe most of you have too, and you've experienced that. We like to be, we, we like to be esteemed in the eyes of our, of our friends, and when we invite people to our house, we like that feeling of being generous. Have you noticed how difficult it is to humbly receive compared to being the one who gives? It's, you know, and it is more blessed to give, but the problem is, is it gets defiled when we have this type of an attitude. Our giving means very little. So we need to be, we need to be changed in our hearts so that we're freely giving and freely receiving from people. And so that thing of receiving hospitality can be kind of humbling. <laughs> anyway, that's enough said about that. But everything in, Fer in the Pharisee's life, in his mind and his heart, is viewed from a position of gaining an advantage. But this sinner woman, she comes in and she is stirred. She feels need. And she somehow has come to the place that Jesus is safe. She has, she has heard enough, seen enough, something has happened that has made her feel that he will not reject her. And she comes busting in there and Jesus would be reclining on his side with his feet away from the table and these people, could, she would have access to him back there. And that's what she did. It's not like Jesus is sitting there in the paintings that we see and she's knelt down at a chair. He's reclined and she is, at, she is in the shadow behind him and doing this, this act of worship basically. And it's interesting. She breaks through the social norms to display her love, her hospitality. Her act of worship is inviting Jesus. At the same time, Jesus has made it safe and, and, has, and there's an inferred hospitality that is going to her. And so that's what she's doing is she is actually displaying it. When we think about the context of the story and why Jesus, why does Jesus go to Simon and say, you didn't anoint my head? You didn't give me water for my feet? You know what I mean? With, you know, and he would have been anointed with a common oil 
and he would have been washed with water for his feet. Those were just customary, customary, uh, what do you call it, you know, etiquettes, you know, or something that people do at these dinners at this time. But Simon didn't do that. Do you see it? Simon's lifting himself above Jesus. And Jesus points that out to him. And he goes, but look at her hospitality. She has come and wept tears on my feet, dried them with her hair, and brought, not, it's, it's not costly perfume. What it is is it's fragrant oil, premium fragrant oil, where the, in, the, in the culture it would have just been a common olive oil to anoint against the dryness and stuff. It was a nice, it was a kindness, like giving someone a cool towel in a hot day, something like that. But she's displaying her hospitality. The feet, the tears, the anointing, they're all acts of hospitality that Simon did not perform. There's a difference between inviting someone into your home and into your heart. And that's what's being displayed in this parable. Jesus' parable reveals that the acts of hospitality, Jesus' parable reveals that the acts of hospitality reveal the condition of the heart. Jesus reveals an even deeper level of hospitality. She was unafraid to approach him. Something about Jesus made her feel safe. And he defended her. He defended her. I just want that to soak in. It's okay to defend broken people that are coming to that are coming near to us for hospitality. We can stop being their enemy, you know. <laughs> and that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness provides a threshold for true hospitality. It's the first movement of reconciliation. I have thought about this for years because I've heard so many sermons on forgiveness and it's all about, I, I can feel better if I forgive or the dynamics of it, or the psychology of it, and everything. But there's something that has to be more because Jesus dies on the cross and he issues us forgiveness of sin. And we're apart from him until that happens. And so forgiveness is the first movement of the kingdom. It's the, it's the invitation of hospitality. And so when we forgive people for whatever, you know, I needed forgiveness for just being boneheaded and rebellious and stinky a little bit. You know, my personal hygiene wasn't great the first day I went over to Jerry's house. <laughs> they didn't seem to mind. <laughs> you know. But when I, you understand what I'm saying? Is that the beginning motion, the first motion of hospitality is forgiveness. And that's why Jesus' words are so harsh. That if you can't forgive, you cannot be my disciple. Why? Because we keep ourselves in the place of Simon, apart and aloof. But that is not the kingdom. That is not reconciliation. And so that's why we get these hard words. Sin has, perver has perverted our humanity. The destruction that sinful acts brings to the world is well documented. Violence, oppression, perversions, betrayals, all inhospitable acts that destroy our connection to one another and perverts our representation of God. 
We are made in his image. And we're also made to bear his name. And so if we look bad and ungodly, it reflects on our father. And so you see, forgiveness begins the healing and allows the love to mature and bring forth its lovely fruit. Now, I'm going to say in closing, but you know what that means. There's, there's more. <laughs> Sorry. Until I feel comfortable stopping, we're, we're going to go. <laughs> in closing, <laughs> I'm glad you guys love me. I love you too. The, the abrupt words that were given to Peter in Matthew 18 parable give real weight to the vital importance of forgiving on our part. It is a non-negotiable element of discipleship. Jesus declares we cannot be his disciple unless we forgive. We very literally cut ourselves off from his teaching. It's like putting our fingers in our ears. And we cut ourselves off and we start to build this God that allows us to live in our arrogance and pride. And that's idolatry. You see? I remember the shocking time, first time I heard this. It was a Catholic priest, and we were in this f thing, and Father Jack, this guy, this early mentor of mine, Father Jack said, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And I thought, I mean, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and I don't know why that stuck with me so much like that, but it's the truth. If we start making up some kind of Jesus, that's not this Jesus, we'll find ourselves floating around in all kinds of trouble. We'll cut ourselves off from his teaching. We're making a choice to stand in the place of God as judge and refuse to rest in his love and power. Discipleship is learning to rest in God's love and power. Discipleship tears away the, the elements of our mind that have interfaced with this world and leads us to something, a dynamic new way of life, a new kingdom that we live in where the rules are different. Everything's turned upside down. So we're, going, we're moving towards resting in his love and power. And if you think that statement's light and easy, you, you just hang on for a few decades. It's almost like we put up an umbrella to ward off the free-flowing rain of grace upon us. We end up in a spiritual desert of our own making. Everything seems wrong and uphill when we refuse to forgive. Maybe this is what Jesus had in mind when he mentioned the torturers. It's not so much like you're going to die across the threshold and go to a lake of fire as much as it is you're going to be tormented. Now that plays into some of the language that we use, that when we forgive, we release that person and peace comes into a, a certain level of it. We experience that, whether we're even doing it out of faith for Jesus or just doing it because we can't carry the weight of it anymore. Nevertheless, the motion is the same, you see it. I think it's less about an eternal consequence and more about a day-to-day -day right now experience. If we cut ourselves off from Jesus' teaching and we refuse 
Maybe the story I'm creating in my head for justifying my anger is being fueled by demonic voices. Maybe. But I can choose to forgive. I am always free to choose to forgive. To walk in forgiveness and to be free. You see, forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an emotion. Just like the love that we're called to walk in is not an emotion. It's an action. It's something we do. And forgiveness, what our feelings are telling us can be huge and very difficult. The threshold of pain to cross in the, in the saying, the words, you maybe have been there. I've had people that have done terrible things to me. And I was mad. And I played that tape in my head until it was the devil's hell. And when I had to gut it out, Jesus, I forgive. That's about how it felt. But I kept saying it. And then pretty soon, the emotion started changing. Then I began saying it. I was gaining ground. And the voice of the Lord was flooding in. And he was walking, giving me wisdom and showing me the way out. The stern warnings and consequences of unforgiveness are a real grace to help us face these very real pains. I think Jesus' words give us grace. In wisdom, we can look forward and we can see, I don't want to, be in the, I don't want to stay in the hands of the torturers. Lord, I want to come into the full reign of your grace in my life. It's an act of love and grace that he's given these words to Peter. Seventy times seven. It's not like an act that we do once. It is a way of life. This is why we walk in forgiveness. When the feels come, and they will, we say the words again and again until our heart overcomes the pain and joy and peace take root in the wound. There's some work in discipleship. There is. And we do this we do this for ourselves. This is a selfish thing we can do. You know, this is self-care right here, okay? And so having said that, let me just make a couple of appeals to you as the band comes back up to uh, play some music again. The prayer team will come. And while, they're, while we're worshiping, if you feel that you need prayer, please come forward and get some prayer. Do you need to forgive someone? Just say the words to God. Come and pray and just, you don't have to share the baggage. Just say, I, I'm really angry and I'm hurt and I need to forgive. And just say the words, I forgive Bill. Lord, you might even say this, Lord, help me forgive Bill. Whatever, say the words. You know, when we keep things all in here, just think about it. We wouldn't have a world if God didn't say, let there be. <laughs> if he didn't send the word, nothing would happen. So there's something powerful about saying. Say the words to God. Do you need forgiveness from God? I assure you, this cross shows us that Jesus' arms are open wide. Come for prayer and comfort. Just say, I'm, I want to I get right with Jesus. I want to receive his forgiveness. These people will, will, will meet you right there. Come for prayer. Get some comfort. Does someone you know need your hospitality? Are you a safe friend? 
open to forgive and receive a broken and hurting someone, make that invitation in the time between the Sundays. Invite them in. Put, overcome your fears. Pray about it. Ask Jesus, what should I do? You'll be surprised how he'll arrange it for you. All right? God bless you. I love you. I'm done.